0: I invite you to take a hymnal now and turn to page 245 because to my great delight, the morning text is found printed in the hymnal. I didn't know that was going to be the case, but when I saw it, I thought, well, let's read it together instead of my just reading it for you. So it's number 245 in the hymnal. It's entitled Christ's Resurrection and Ours. It's taken from 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 20. And I invite you energetically now to read these words of God with me. Shall we read in unison? Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. But in fact, Christ has been raised, the first fruits of those who have died. Two weeks ago, I asked the question, what does forgiveness look like? When you forgive somebody who wrongs you, what does it look like? And we answered the question with a definition from Thomas Watson in his great old book, Body of Divinity. And the definition included these seven elements. Resisting revenge, not returning evil for evil, wishing them well, grieving at their calamities... Praying for their welfare, seeking reconciliation, so far as it depends upon us, and coming to their aid in distress. And then last Sunday I asked the question, how do you do that? That kind of attitude and behavior toward one who's wronged you, perhaps wronged you very, very, very deeply goes against the grain of human nature. And I said, that kind of forgiving is to the fallenness of my heart like flying is to the heaviness of my body. I might as well fly with my body as forgive with a graceless human heart. A human heart that doesn't have the grace of God in it by faith can't forgive like that. So we ask, well, how do you forgive? And we took our clue from that little poem by John Bunyan. Run, John, run. The law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. For better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. So the gospel does demand very hard things. Like, forgive as you've been forgiven. But it doesn't leave you to do that in your own power. It doesn't leave your heart unchanged. It doesn't leave you without the Holy Spirit. And so what we saw last week that is that there are gospel wings. And in these gospel wings, which are given to us, even before we do anything about it, are six feathers, gospel feathers from Ephesians four thirty-two to 5, 2. Let me just rehearse them for you. Number one, God loved us with a special saving love before we were born. Second, Christ died for us with a special covenant love that tries to win for himself and does win for himself a bride. Third, God is satisfied with that sacrifice. He looks upon the death of Christ and he says, good, that's great, that's sufficient. Fourth. He puts us into a relationship with Christ. He unites us to Christ so that we're in Christ, so that what is Christ's is ours. His righteousness is ours. His inheritance is ours. And fifth, he adopts us into his family so that we have that inheritance and we're no longer aliens, but we are children. And sixth, he forgives all our sins. Now, if those six things are true for you, if you believe them, bank on them, hope in them, you've got wings and with those wings you soar in your own forgiveness. And with that sense of deep, everlasting forgiveness, you can do this gospel flying of forgiving others who have wronged you. Now, Easter Sunday, and I have one more question to ask about this forgiveness. What does the resurrection of Jesus add to it? And I stressed last week, and I want to stress this morning, the blood of Jesus covers all our sins. The blood of Jesus satisfies the Father. The death of Jesus is what enables us to fly. Because it's the death of Jesus that forgives us and cleanses us and lifts the curse and the burden and the condemnation of all our sins off of us. What more could the resurrection of Jesus add to that, that we might be empowered and forgiven? That's today's question. Now, to answer that question, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15. And this time, maybe better open your Bibles if you want to follow along with me, because the verses aren't listed out there in the hymnal. And I'm going to take us to Hebrews as well as to 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have two fingers and you want to keep them in the Bible portions... One finger goes in 1 Corinthians 15, and the other finger goes in Hebrews 13. I think the answer to that question is hinted at, if not answered fully, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. What more does the resurrection do if the death of Jesus so wonderfully, sufficiently, fully covers our sins, and brings us into a relationship with God. Verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. What does that mean, in your sins? I think in your sins is the opposite of in Christ. If you're in Christ, you get what is Christ and what he's done for you. If you're in your sins, you get what your sins can do for you. And the wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6.23. And so, to be in your sins is to be under condemnation, It's to be oppressed by guilt, it's to have no future and no hope. And this text says... That if Christ has not been raised, it doesn't matter what Christ did. You're still in your sins. So how is that? How is it that we can say that the death of Christ is that by which covers our sins? It's the death which bears our curse. It's His blood by which we are justified, according to Romans 5-9. It's His blood that is our redemption, the forgiveness of all of our sins, and yet say that if He isn't risen, you're in your sins. Here's the answer, I think, implied in that verse. The resurrection of Jesus is the reward given by God the Father To the son because his death is so completely perfect and all sufficient and all covering that he rewards him for that and he validates or vindicates the worth of his death by raising him from the dead so that if he didn't raise him, there would be a deficiency in his death. If God looked at the death of his son, Intended to redeem for himself a people from every tongue and tribe and nation and make them perfect. If Christ's death did not succeed, the father would look at it and say, no. No. You get no reward. I will not vindicate that or validate that. It was not sufficient. It wasn't enough. That's why 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen says, if he is not raised... You are still in your sins, because if God had not raised him, it would have been a disapproval of what he had achieved. The resurrection is the reward and the proof and the vindication that God says yes to the death of Jesus. God looks on it and it's a big exclamation point at the sentence of Jesus redeeming life and death. He says, Amen. And the Amen reverberated into that tomb and brought Jesus out of the grave. So what I really want you to hear this morning is the sufficiency of the death of Jesus on your behalf. I want the the good news that the death of Jesus covers all your sins to feel powerfully real in your life. And the resurrection message this morning is intended to be God's thunderclap of an amen after that, so that you really feel the force of Good Friday. That's the way I want you to hear the message this morning. The point of Easter is, he has been raised from the dead, and therefore everything he accomplished on the cross is successful, it is totally sufficient, and you are not any longer in your sins You are united to him and there is a future of everlasting joy. That's the point of the resurrection. Now, the way I want to go about this this morning is to take you to Hebrews and look at three texts in the book of Hebrews, starting with chapter 13. What I want you to see is what I saw that got me so excited in the past several days as I was looking around in the Bible for other Evidences that my idea from 1 Corinthians 15, 17 is right. Namely, that the reason he raised Jesus from the dead was because the death of Jesus is so absolutely, stunningly, awesomely, wonderfully sufficient to cover all our sins and make us righteous before God. No matter what we've ever done. Now, I found some Wonderful verses. Let me start at the end of the book and then we'll jump around a couple of times. We'll start at Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you with everything good to do his will. Now stop right there. Does that sound to you like it sounded to me? Namely, Jesus died for Jesus in order that He might be raised. Read it again, see if you can hear that. The God of, made the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. That little prepositional phrase, through the blood of the eternal covenant modifies He brought Jesus up from the dead. He brought him up from the dead through his blood. What does that mean? We know from the book of Hebrews that Jesus did not need to be died for in order for his sins to be covered because he had no sins. Five times in the book of Hebrews it says he was without sin or he was a perfect priest or sacrifice. So when it says he was raised from the dead through the blood of the eternal covenant that he had shed three days earlier, it doesn't mean he was redeemed by his own blood. What does it mean? I think it means this. His blood, when he shed it for his people, was so totally, completely, all sufficient to do everything that God designed it to do in bringing us into a righteous relationship with God, that now He rewards that bloodshedding. He rewards that death and that sacrifice by bringing our good shepherd out of the grave so that He has the privilege now this morning of moving among us by His Spirit to apply what He purchased when He died. He was raised through His blood in the sense that His blood so fully accomplished the covenant purposes of God, that God looked down on it and He said, Yes! Amen, son! You did it! It is finished! And to reward the the fullness and the sufficiency of our redeeming work, that is, the work done for us, He raised Him from the dead. Now Let me show you another one. Chapter 2, verse 9, still here in Hebrews. Same kind of logic. Hebrews 2, 9, second half of the verse it says, He has been made a little while, for a little while, lower than the angels. That's the incarnation of Jesus for a little while, 30 years now. He's made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, and then this key phrase, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. See the connection? Because of the suffering of death, He is crowned with glory and honor. Easter means glory for Jesus. He didn't have any glory in His life. He was suffering And it was death. He set his face to go up to Jerusalem. He would not look to the right hand or to the left. Peter tried to stop him. The devil tried to stop him. Judas tried to stop him. And he would not let himself be stopped. He would die. And nobody could stop him. But before he died, he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. And the father did that on Easter. But he did it, this text says, because of the suffering and death. So the father was watching. He had a covenant with his son. He had an agreement with his son. You go, pay the price for my people. Bear my wrath, bear the curse that in my law I have pronounced upon sin. You go and do it. And if you do it, if you do it, I will raise you from the dead. And the son did it, and the father watched, and with tears, I believe, and with great wrath, and with great love, and with great joy, all mixed together in those awesome days, he said, Amen! It is finished, and he raised him from the dead because of his suffering. What other text I want you to look at in Hebrews. Now this one even goes closer to the center. Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verses 12, 13, and 14. I love this text. Oh, this text is so full of hope for sinners. You came in this morning as a visitor or maybe a regular attender, maybe even a member. So laden down with sin that you wonder if Easter has anything to do with you. Listen hard to this. Starting at verse 12 in Hebrews 10. Christ, he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God. Now, we could stop right there and notice the connection. He gave an offering for sins for all time. He didn't have to do it again. He sat down at the right hand of God. But it even gets more clear as we move on in verse 13. He's waiting there from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. So he's waiting in heaven now in his bodily form until... His enemies are completely subdued. And now this crucial verse, verse 14. For, or because, relating back to his sitting down at the Father's right hand and waiting. For, by one offering, he, was perf- he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Now before we see the pieces of that verse, you've got to see the connection between verse 14 and... Verse 12, which is introduced in verse 14 by that little word for or because. Collapse it down and it goes like this. He sat down because he was raised. He sat down at the right hand of God because by one offering he perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you see what that means about the point of the resurrection and the exaltation and the reign of Christ? It all has to do with Good Friday. It all has to do with the cross. It all has to do with the offering. Easter is all about death. Isn't that strange? Life, the life of Jesus, reigning at the Father's right hand, ruling over the world, ready to come in glory, interceding for the saints is all about the greatness, the glory, the sufficiency, the perfection of what happened on Good Friday. And let these words sink into you. In verse 14, what happened on Good Friday? This is why He was raised. By one offering. Now let that sink in because there are many traditions that think you kind of have to do that offering over and over again. you got to have a sacrifice Over and over. And Hebrews underlines one offering. One offering. One morning and afternoon on the cross. That is all that was needed. By one offering, He has perfected. Mark that word. Not improved a little bit. He has perfected. Perfected. For all time, let that word sink in. It didn't last a little while, then stop. For all time, those... Now, who is that? It's a present participle in the Greek. Sorry to pull rank on you there, but that's important. Those who not are perfected already, but are being saved. If you've kicked in by faith to the process, and God by the Holy Spirit is nudging you along the way toward heaven, and you aren't going the other direction, you are perfect. It's such a paradox. If you are one of those who are imperfectly making your way, stumbling to heaven... You, by one offering, have been perfected for all time. That's what Easter's about. That's the message I want you to hear this morning. When he raised Jesus from the dead, it was God's yes, amen, one is enough. They are perfected. It will last forever, son. Come on out. And you now apply it to them this morning. The risen Christ is here in this room to do just that. Oh, I want you to do I could go to a lot of other texts. I'll pass over Philippians 2. You know that great text? He emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient, even unto death, the death of the cross, and then that thunder clap. Therefore! God has exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And the therefore means because of the suffering and death, he gets this reward. But let me take you to one last text in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. I'm closing with this one because I thought if I take you back to the Old Testament, 700 years before it happened, maybe your faith would be even more strengthened to believe that God has accomplished this for you because he planned it in eternity, but he prophesied it 700 years. This very connection between resurrection and death are here in Isaiah 53. Sometimes we read this uh, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and we get to, I think it's verse 3 maybe or somewhere in there where it says, uh, this is the gospel that he died for sins according to the Scripture that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And we say, well, where does where is that in the Scriptures? Where in the Scriptures does it say he will rise, that the Messiah will rise again? Is that an Old Testament teaching or was that all hidden in the Old Testament? The answer is, it is an Old Testament teaching and it's right here in Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. Now, watch for the connection between resurrection and the death of the Messiah in these three verses. The Lord was pleased to crush him. That's Good Friday. He crushed the Messiah. He did it because he loved him, Putting him to grief. Now, watch the logical connections in this next verse, in this next phrase. If, I know some of your translations might be a little different here, but I think that's the best. If... He would render himself as a guilt offering. That's Good Friday. He will see his offspring. That's Easter. He will prolong his days. That's resurrection glory. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now verse 11. As a result of the anguish of his soul, there is death again. He will see it and be satisfied. There's resurrection again. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many. There's the great teaching of justification through the death of the Messiah. And he will bear their iniquities. Now here, watch this verse 12, the logic again. Therefore, because of that suffering and death, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, that's resurrection, and he will divide the booty with the strong. Now here's another key word. Because... He poured out his life to death. So he's going to share the booty with the strong and he's going to be satisfied and he's going to rise because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So 700 years now, before this happened, we see four connections just like the ones we saw in Hebrews. Verse 10, if he would render himself a guilt offering then he's going to see his offspring and prolong his days. resurrection. Verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul on Good Friday, he's going to be satisfied on Easter Sunday morning. Verse 12, because he bears the sins of many, Good Friday, therefore God will allow him a portion with the great, Easter Sunday. Verse 12, at the end, he will divide the booty with the strong, Easter, because he poured out his life unto death, Good Friday. I find that awesomely important. And strengthened for my faith that this teaching, that the resurrection is the reward of an all-sufficient death to cover the sins of many. To be tremendously strengthening in my life as a sinner. So we come back from Hebrews and Philippians and Isaiah to 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If he has not been raised, you're still in your sins. But verse 20, he has been raised. The answer why he needs to be raised is that it vindicates, it demonstrates the sufficiency of the death of his son. And if you ask this morning, how do we know he was raised? That's another sermon, but let me just point you to the answer. At the beginning of this chapter 15, Paul says, he appeared unto Cephas, he appeared unto James, and then he appeared to the twelve, and then he appeared to 500 at once. In other words, he appeared to individuals, he appeared to small groups, And he appeared to large groups like 500. And then he says to these Corinthians, who are hundreds of miles away, many of these 500 that he appeared to are still alive. You can check it out with them. In fact, some of them will be traveling through here in a few weeks. Namely Peter. You know that from 1 Corinthians. He has been raised from the dead. We are not still in our sins. We are not unforgiven. We are forgiven. John Bunyan was right. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Doubt not. His sacrifice can save. God sealed it with an empty grave. And by His blood and life we live and now have freedom to forgive. The resurrection of Jesus is an exclamation point. It's a triumphant shout out of heaven. It is finished. He did it. He covered you. Your sins are forgiven. And you have all the blessings of the cross, including the blessing of being forgiven and the doubled joy and blessing of being a forgiver. I want us to pray now before we sing. We're going to sing a song about the connection between being forgiven and forgiving. It's found right there on the back of your worship folder. Before we sing it, though, I want to lead us in prayer and remind you that at the end of the service, teams of people that would love to pray for you about your soul or about your health or about your relationships or about anything in your life that God might have touched in this hour, they would they would be happy to linger and pray with you. But let's pray now. And- Ask the Lord to come and work. Lord, continue work right now. I've seen you working in this room, Lord. And I'm so happy that you are. I want you to finish the work in a decisive way. I want you to bring home to hearts now. It is finished. The debt is paid trust me, trust me with your life. You can offer me no righteousness that will make you stand before me. Only the righteousness of my Son avails in the courtroom of heaven. All other righteousness is the stumbling efforts to move towards me in sanctification. It will not suffice to commend you to me in glory. Only my Son can do that. Rest in Him. Rest in Him. The resurrection that I gave Him is to signify to you that it is finished. I have perfected for all time by one sacrifice those who are resting in the Son and in process toward glory. Lord, Father, as we sing, finish that great work in many